0: and welcome at Book Lovers Companion. Welcome to this live event. My name is Edith and as you can see, no chattering teacup who is doing tea things again, no CEO who's roaming the estate between horizontal life pauses, just me and my lovely guest, the wonderful Terry M. Brown. Hello Terry and welcome back and thank you for doing this again.
1: Oh, well, thank you for having me again.
0: It's always lovely to have you on the show. Like I said before, you are a regular by now, and you are always making time for us, which we absolutely appreciate.
1: Well, I appreciate you making time for me.
0: Always. It's a a
1: nice little symbiotic relationship.
0: (laughs) Oh, it is, and we do enjoy it. I think we both can say, quite honestly, that we absolutely absolutely enjoy it. And like I said before, we came on for this event. It's your weekly praise for your wonderful book, Daughters of Green Mountain Gap, which came out in January this year. And I'm asking you again, Terry, as all authors, you will never tire of talking about your labor of love. Tell our listeners about your book as much as you can, not giving too much away, of course.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely no spoilers. So Daughters of Green Mountain Gap is set in the mountains of North Carolina, the Appalachian Mountains in the 1890s. And it follows three generations of women. Um, they are all healers. And these healers in the Appalachian Mountains are known as granny women. Granny women help birth babies, but they also help people with their general ailments using roots and herbs and what i call a little bit of mountain magic um the oldest generation her name is maggie she is uh, in the line of of healers so her grandmother was a healer her mother was a healer now she's a healer her daughter carrie ann also feels called to heal, but she doesn't like the the old ways. She believes that modern medicine should be coming to her community. So she goes off to Boston, she goes to college, becomes a nurse and comes back to her community with a doctor in tow and sets up shop there in town. And immediately she and her mother are kind of at odds because her mother uh, firmly believes in her way of doing medicine. And Carrie Anne believes that the only way to do medicine is her way. Well, Carrie Ann also has a daughter. Her name is Josie May, although Carrie Ann refuses to call her anything other than Josephine. And Josie May kind of looks at both what her grandmother does and what her mother does. She sees good in both. And then she says, I also see that they're not perfect, neither one, because both my granny and my mom lose patience. And so she doesn't really know which way to turn. And we just kind of follow that story along until we come to, you know, the crux of the story, which I'm not going to tell you, which helps us determine which is the right way.
0: Indeed. And I say again, I said it before, Carrie-Anne is someone you want to shake
1: Yes, more
0: often than not than not, because you think, oh, come on, woman, what is the matter
1: with you? She has, she has her way of doing things. And she doesn't just believe that she should do it that way. She believes everyone should do it that way. And because of that, you know, she kind of like digs her feet in and she refuses to ever, ever take note that anything her mother does is correct or good not even correct just good like there's any good to it she simply cannot see it and um yeah she's one of those characters that you do want to shake you want to just say can't you can't you be a little less rigid can't you open your eyes on the other hand Let's give her a little bit of a break. She had, you know, there's been a lot of trauma in her life. She lived a very difficult life. And I think this is her her response to it is, you know, I'm going to control everything around me and then nothing bad can happen. Mm-hmm.
0: What I found until, interesting. Until things yeah. do, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And what I found interesting with your characters was the fact that these three generations, Maggie, although she's the oldest of them, is, it seemed to me, the more open compared to her daughter. Her her daughter has a little bit of a stick up her bum, but she's also (laughs) a bit more, um, let's call it conservative in her thinking. Although you would think given her education, she might be more open, yet it's not the case. On the other hand, Maggie being older and having been brought up more conservative has opened up. To other, to other people, especially also the Cherokee tribe, which uh, she visits every year, again and again.
1: Right. So she, you know, kind of accidentally met a man who was the son of the medicine man. This man um, was someone who helped her. So she went and met his father and now goes back every year and learns from the medicine man and and the medicine man learns from her as well and they kind of trade their secrets back and forth as to what they do and maggie realizes that this this man you know he's very different from her his culture is different from her how he heals is different from her his religion is different from her and yet she still can look at what he does and say what can I take from this man that will work Mm -hmm. for me? Mm -hmm. She doesn't change her value system. It's not like she says, well, I'm just gonna throw everything to the wind, but she says, here's what I believe about life. And then he has these really good things. How can I take those things and hang that on what I believe? Mm -hmm. And I love that about her. I love her ability to, to find the good in things that are different. Mm -hmm. And she's not
0: of the assumption that she knows everything because she's very willing to also learn from the doctor that Carrie-Anne more or less convinced to come to the town and help people and vice versa. And much to the annoyance of our dear Carrie-Anne.
1: Right, because Carrie-Anne, when she brought this doctor to town her thought was is that she and the doctor would become the medical professionals and that her mother would then go and can peaches and there'd be no more of her mother and that would be you know and that was going to be the end and that all of the the community would come you know rushing forth for the doctor and the nurse and why would they ever go to granny woman And then to find out that she brings this doctor in and the doctor says, Wow, Carrie Ann, your mother has some abilities that I would love to have. And Carrie Ann's like, What? (laughs) (laughs) You know? How how dare you? Yeah, how you've got to be kidding me. You know, I bring you all the way from Boston and now you're going to try to become a granny woman. I mean, she just yeah, it, it just infuriates her. She can't, but that's because she has a, a big blind spot where her mother's mm. concerned.
0: Yeah, absolutely. She
1: just cannot see that her mother does any good. That and the fact that her mother also
0: has this innate ability of being emphatic with her patients.
1: Yes, yes. She, she understands that sometimes a patient may need medicine but they may also need someone to hold their hand or to just listen to them Mm. or Mm. to to offer you know some kind of comfort and even when she knows that there's nothing she can do for the patient medically she doesn't walk away yeah yeah she says what can i do for this patient if i I, if i can't cure them Mm. if they're going to die what can I do to make this end less miserable for them?
0: Yeah. And making sure people do not die alone.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something that modern medicine today is missing
0: Mm -hmm.
1: is that, that empathy. Um, You know, we have a lot of amazing treatments, you know, I definitely wouldn't want to go back to the 1890s and have something as simple as diabetes because they had no cure for it. You yeah. know, in the 1890s, they would do things like like bloodlet and yeah. and all kinds of things, you know, like I would not want to go back to that, right? But on no. the other hand, there is some things that we're missing, which is that empathy portion, that mm-hmm. also, also the ability to look at a patient and recognize that that patient is not like every other patient. And that mm. just because this, this particular pill or concoction worked for one patient, doesn't mean that it automatically will do so for another. And she was always willing to, to try different things and to, to consider her patient and, and change up the remedy that she gave, which is something I think that modern medicine isn't as good at. It's, mm. it's, well, this works for 80% of the people. And it's like, well, that's fantastic if you happen to be one of the 80%. But if you're one of the 20%, then what? Mm.
0: It's a, I, I suppose it's a slow process to realize that what works for men doesn't necessarily work for women. What works for someone who is tall and muscular doesn't necessarily work for someone who is uh, on the light side and so on. And like you said, modern medicine has lost its empathy. Mm-hmm. let's put it that way they lost the empathy maybe also because physicians doctors surgeons are under a lot of stress
1: yeah yeah
0: there's no time they have
1: a no they have no time um i know here where i'm living right now especially in the last couple of years we've had kind of a a growth here along the coast and we don't have enough doctors <laughs> and so just just to get to see a specialist, you know, let's say that, that you start noticing you're having heart problems. And so your doctor wants you to see a cardiologist, it might be five, six, seven months before you can go see a cardiologist. This didn't used to be the case. Mm. And I think that, you know, if, if there's a waiting list that long, then that doctor's got to be stressed because they must be working nonstop all the time. And yet they can't catch up. Yep. They're always 7 months behind. And yeah. you know, that would make me crazy. I wouldn't <laughs> be able to to function in in something like that where I always felt like I was behind. Yeah. Um so yeah, I think there's that too. Mm. And there's also we we meant we you
0: mentioned her briefly, her granddaughter, the granddaughter. Yes. She's a little bit in between, but she's more Mm, or has a a closer relationship to her grandmother also due to the fact that she spends a lot of time with her. And she's also an interesting character, especially then, we won't mention why, but at at the end of the book, Um, because there also is a lot of change over the years. Your book starts in 1896, and at the end we are in the 20s of the new century. And a lot has happened. A lot has happened in Josephine's or Joseph's community but also in the Cherokee community
1: right and at the point where Maggie first started going to the the Cherokee lands (coughs) excuse me um she they had not become westernized Although their dress was a little more Western, their belief system was still very, very, very much Cherokee and very distinct and different. And by the end of the book, we see that a lot of the ceremonies that they're performing are now more or less like, like a fair or a festival that they do for, um, the, the white community to come and kind of see what it is that they've done and it's more like a show than it is an actual belief. So yeah and, and that's one of the things that the book explores is this idea of you know our traditions and, and they do change and do we embrace the changes and how do we embrace the changes and do we want to embrace the changes and all of that?
0: I also get the impression that Maggie's not so adverse to change.
1: No, I don't think that she is. I, In
0: yeah, the internet? I'm not here anymore. Yeah, but you're back. I can hear you. Yeah, I'll go. Oh, there I am.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh yeah. no, I froze
0: up. No, no, don't um,
1: worry. <clears throat> yes. So Maggie, um, she knows that change is inevitable. You know, it's going to happen. Yeah. So she can either go along with it, kicking and screaming, or she can try to adjust and change and find ways to continue doing what she feels called to do, oh. which is to heal people. hmm I think I froze again. No, no. We're good. We're good. All good. <laughs> All good. Okay. All right. Um, and so, you know, is she called to heal people? And does that mean that she has to do it exactly the way her mother and grandmother did? And mm. she doesn't believe that's the case. Mm -hmm. And she I think that given the right opportunities, maybe she would have gone to a place like Boston Mm -hmm. and and learned some of the modern techniques as well, not to replace everything that she knew, but as something to use in addition to what she already knew. Whereas Mm -hmm. when Carrie Ann went to when she went to Boston, she went there to replace the old. Yep. Yep. And that's that's the big yeah that's the big difference, I think, between these two women is that that Maggie isn't given the opportunities to to learn a lot of the things, but she would if she could mm-hmm. and then and then Carrie is like, no, there's only one way. it's my yeah. way. Yeah. my way or the highway, you know <laughs> absolutely
0: i mean she's she's more than determined to get rid of the old. Whereas Josie is more the kind of person who would like to do a little merge yeah. of
1: and what you know, works
0: with the old way. and, the and new don't way.
1: you think that would be wonderful with today's modern medicine? Yeah. If we could have the modern cures that they now have, the things that are super helpful, <clears throat> as yeah. well as like some of Maggie's empathy. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. and the ability to make changes based on the person sitting in front of you instead of an average. Yep.
0: Yep. You know, I know, for
1: instance, my, my husband is highly, highly reactive to medication. If, if you're going to get, you know, if they give you a list of 10 symptoms that you might get while on this medicine, he's going to get nine of them. (laughs) It's just what his body does. Yeah. And the number of times that we've told physicians this and they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they give him the medicine and then he can't take it because he Mm. has all of these. Then once they see that, then they start trying to work with you a little to see if they can't come up with something else. When if they would have had the empathy to begin with, they would have known that maybe you shouldn't start him out. I know everyone else starts out on a hundred milligrams, but why don't you try him on 25? Mm. Let his body get used to it. You know, but nobody will do it because that's not the way it's done. And they remind me a little bit of Carrie Ann in that way, you know. (laughs) And it would be so nice to have a little bit of Maggie that says, Oh, so you're telling me that in the past you've always had these kinds of problems. Well, why don't we try this instead?
0: Mm. Uh, Carrie Ann is not willing that way. The doctor is more willing that way, much to the annoyance. (laughs)
1: Much to the annoyance of
0: (laughs) Carrie Ann. There's, I also mentioned it before, the fact that the community where these women live uh, has uh, other challenges uh, to cope with. I mean, given the fact that they are a small rural community in the 1890s at the end of the century, but still uh, you live in the mountains. There's, You have to deal with the seasons. You have to deal with death and there's also the fact that you have to put your heart where your mouth is in these communities. And that's something I think that Josie realized with the help of, of Maggie, of course. Put your heart where your mouth is. Don't just say, like we said uh, last time, yeah. brothers. talk about brothers and sisters. Yeah, but who is your brother and your sister?
1: And not only who is it, but what are you going to do about it now that you understand who it is? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's putting action behind those words. Yeah. You know, we talked a little bit when, when we tried to do this before and had the tech (laughs) glitch that, you know, a lot of people do romanticize that idea of, you know, we've been, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful to live in the 1890s? And, and, and the answer is yes and no. You know, yes, wouldn't it be wonderful that you had that community that was close knit that sat around together and helped one another do, you know, sewing circles and, and canning and, and those kinds of things. But on the other hand, do you really want to go through a winter where the only heat that you have is the logs that you cut during the summer? And do you really want to go out at 3 a.m. because you need to use the toilet and the only toilet is 22 feet from your back door through six feet of snow? Is that really what you wanna do? And the answer is no, No. none of us wanna do that, right? Um, So I think there's a little bit of a romanticizing about that time period. And yet there are good things. And once again, that just comes back to to exactly what I'm saying is I wouldn't want to give up my modern conveniences. Absolutely. But I would love for the women in my community to come sit on my front porch and, and we could chat and do something together. Mm -hmm. Like I think that would be awesome. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and a lot of times we, we do give up one for the other. So we have all of our modern conveniences. And for instance, in the south where I live, it gets hot, hot. Um, I don't know how to do Fahrenheit to Celsius for other listeners, but for here, it's 96 degrees Fahrenheit
0: mm-hmm. in,
1: in August and hot, humid, miserable. And because of that heat, people used to sit out on their big front porches where they could catch the breeze and they would sit out there and other people would sit out on their front porches with them. Yeah. Well, in today's society, we have air conditioning. People don't go sit on their front porch because it's hot out there. And so yeah. you sit inside, which means that you don't get to know your neighbors as well. So sometimes modern conveniences, they're, they're good, and then they're not so good. Absolutely agree. I, I, I thought
0: now that you mentioned it, I thought of the pandemic, and then I thought the modern conveniences, on the other hand, brought a lot of people together. Yes, which, which wouldn't have come together otherwise. Come to think of Zoom calls at the end, we might have been tired of yeah. them. But let's be honest, people have connected in a way they wouldn't have connected otherwise, because we were also busy, busy, busy.
1: Right. And then you, then you were forced to stay at home. And then once you were home for a certain number of days, you started desperately looking for ways to connect to someone. You know, it's like, okay, even if I can't see you in person, how can I see you? I, I connected with my grandchildren. We did Christmas activities, you know, where I would send them little art kits and -hmm. they would open them. And on zoom, I would make mine in my house and they would make their.
0: Again. But never mind. Oh. They made the... Yeah, no, don't worry. It happens. The internet might be a bit... Well, you know, it depends always. Also depends on the weather. But I know what you say. They met theirs, you met yours, you talked. We did it as well with friends. We had a meal together via right. Zoom. We spoke together. Right. We had fun. We had drinks together via Zoom. We couldn't meet in person, so we did it that way. And let's be honest. What What better way than to do it that way if you can't meet in person? And I, right. w- I, asked, I asked you the first time, or I said the first time that, I mean, it's very different from, let's say, other communities, especially rural areas and more uh, city-like areas. They were completely different at that time. Think of Maggie's communities. Exactly. think of Boston, think of, like I mentioned before, Kimberly's book about Rome at the same time. Right. Rome in complete-
1: the 1890s. Rome in the 1890s versus Maggie's community in the 1890s. Exactly. And not only Maggie's community, Maggie's community is a little tiny town. Maggie herself lives 5 miles outside of that town. Yeah. 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 So she doesn't have any neighbors. <laughs> yeah. She's just out in the middle of nowhere and so when it snows and there's a bad storm and she can't get out she yep. has to rely completely on herself and wait until the weather clears enough for her to dig herself out and head into town. And even then when she yeah. heads into town, it's nothing like what we would consider. <laughs> you know, they have they have a church and a, a church and a store <laughs> and maybe three or four other things and that's that's it.
0: Yeah. If, but also the people can't get to her as well because if you fall ill right. and you do not trust the doctor, you need Maggie for whatever reason how do you get her
1: right right and in the uh, book i show one man who nearly froze to death trying to get to her yeah exactly i mean it's incredible right and 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 the doctor was there in town within you know within a mile of his home yeah and he chose to nearly freeze to death going down and and it's not a road it's mm. not a road you know a paved road with no it's 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 a path it's a path through the woods
0: And those who keep the home fires burning, the women, I think it's also something we do not appreciate enough, uh, especially in your country, when we think about the settlers who moved west, all the hardships, especially the women, had to endure. Do you think they get enough appreciation for what they did? No, I don't think
1: women ever get enough appreciation (laughs) for what they do. Um, No, I mean, you know... when you hear about pioneers, you often hear about the men. And if you hear about the women, you hear about maybe they had a, a bad labor or, or had to, to bury a, an infant along the way, but you don't hear about everything else that they had to do. I mean, can you imagine? Here you're, you're going across the United States on foot and you have, you know, probably eight or 10 children and you're having to feed your family on a campfire (laughs) with whatever you can happen to find, because it's not like you have a refrigerator plugged (laughs) inside of your, you know, it's just a whole different thing. And and they're the ones who kept the family together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and usually
1: it was, yeah. And usually it was the women who did things like any kind of schooling that happened within a family happened because of the woman. You know, she's the one that's doing things like, like reading uh, from the Bible or reading from, you know, she's the one doing it. You know, the husband is busy. The husband is busy. He's, you know, he's, he's tending to the, the animals and he's, he's repairing the wagons and he's doing all that. And she's doing all of those people oriented relationship type things in addition to, Mending the clothes and feeding her family and probably nursing an infant and all of the other. And oftentimes nursing an infant while pregnant.
0: Yeah, exactly. And also the fact that when we speak of women and labor, we think, oh, in the 50s or later than that, women were finally allowed to work. Ah, uh, no shit, sure, look As if women didn't work before that. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> women were
1: women were finally paid something for the work yeah. that they were doing, as yes. opposed to right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, prior to do then, you, don't you know, women sat with leisure and they were just. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, not
0: everyone was a countess or a duchess and whatnot. I mean, come on. That, that's what they had to do to keep to keep everything up to keep everything running smoothly if you have exactly. if you had a shop if you were uh, I don't know working as a carpenter or else or you were selling other things you need the woman for that and in the house like exactly. you said bringing up the children being a farmer that means also a man also it still means that your wife had to do also the work on the field with the animals and so on
1: right right I mean uh- Um, even so my mom is 81 and as she was growing up I mean my grandmother was out in the field weeding and picking vegetables and then doing all of the canning and then during butchering time she was the one she didn't do the butchering itself that was considered a man's job but she was the one putting all the meat up getting it wrapped putting it you know whether it was salted meat or whether it was frozen meat or what she was doing it she was the one who was running meat through the presses and turning it into ground beef and ground sausage and you know that's what she did right and that was in addition to raising her children and making sure everyone got three square meals a day
0: now that you mention it, the, the time of the butchering, did you also have the tradition of after after you slaughtered a pig or something like that, that people came together to more or less celebrate and eat the products that came yeah. out? Yeah, yeah, that's what we also had here. Oh, yeah. It's called sawdance.
1: Oh, okay. Well, means, I don't know. I'm means, sure there was a name for it, but yeah,
0: yeah. means literally um, pig dance, something like that. The literal translation. Yeah. And that's what they did. They came together, yeah. they ate, and celebrated, more or less. Yeah.
1: Celebrated. And and yeah. and really what they were doing, when you look at it, is, is it's easier to do that kind of thing if everyone brings their animals to one location and yep. they do one big slaughter and get it all taken care of. Now you're going to have a big celebration when it's done, and then everyone's going to take their portions back to their, their homestead. Exactly. This is the way barns were built. This is the way quilts quilts were done this is the way women would get together for canning Mm -hmm. it's just what people did at that time was you got together and you you combined your resources because for one man and one woman and whatever children were old enough to help to do that versus having a community of men and a community of women to help it it makes you know Many hands Mm -hmm. make the work go faster, as my grandmother used to say.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely true. On the other hand, we also mentioned the downside of community. I mean, for Carrie Ann, she can't cope with the fact that people still rely on her mother. Because Mm -hmm. like you said, and we mentioned it before, Maggie has this empathy. Carrie Ann is lacking. Although I said before, I want to shake her. Most yes. of the time. On the other hand, I do know where she's coming from. She's a. Uh, uh, you feel sorry for her.
1: She desperately wants to control her life. She, I think that she feels like generally life is out of control. And if oh. she can just follow a simple formula, yep. that then everything will be okay. You know, and I I get that. Aren't there days that you feel that way? Just give me the three things I need to do and I'll go do them and everything will turn out all right. And it, unfortunately, that's not the way life is. And it just takes her a little bit of time to learn it.
0: Absolutely. And you said, question again. She's your favorite character in a way, isn't she? She's the one that needs my
1: love the most. You know, it's yeah. like, like, like Maggie doesn't need me as much. Mm-hmm. And and Josie May doesn't need me as much. Mm-hmm. Carrie Ann really needs me to be in her corner, because she's so easy to dislike. Then I need to make sure that when I'm talking to people, I remind them, there's a reason.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah. she redeems herself. Yep you know Absolutely. so so you know give her give her a little bit of credit yeah it's almost like like she needs my love the most so i'm going to love her that's
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can understand it and like we like i said you know oh, you realize where she's coming from and yeah she 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 doesn't do what she does in a in a way that she wants to harm
1: people she means well
0: no She
1: actually does. I mean, when you think about the fact that she went off to school in Boston and could have stayed in a big city Mm -hmm. where she would have been very appreciated for what she was doing. And instead, she comes back to a tiny town that she doesn't, she loves, she loves her people, but she doesn't love the place. Like she's been wanting to escape from there for, for forever. Right. I mean, her marriage was simply so that she could get out of that town. And then it turned out that her husband died and she ended back back there. But, you know, but she goes back and she goes back with the right idea, which is I want to take back this knowledge to the people of my community. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. she also goes back with the idea of, and my knowledge is the only knowledge and anybody else is wrong. And as soon as the town finally understands that, everything's going to work better.
0: Mm. You said that the term for Maggie is granny woman. Does it mean what you (laughs) usually associate with the word word granny, someone who is older or elderly and has a lot of knowledge?
1: they're often older. They usually have children of their own. Um, Maggie in this story becomes a granny woman young, but she mm-hmm. becomes a granny woman simply because the granny woman dies. She mm-hmm. has, to, someone has to fill those shoes. So she becomes the granny woman at a, at a very young age, but generally, yes, it's, it's an older thing. It's been passed down. So like your, your grandma is still doing this while you're learning it. And then your mom is doing it, and you're still learning it. And now you're a 40-year-old woman, you're a 50-year-old woman, and your mother passes away, and now you're the granny woman. So it's it's that.
0: Uh, in centuries before, uh, I'm meaning to ask you that, I've meant to ask you that last time. I mean, having knowledge of all the plants, of the herbs, and how to heal and how to bring babies into the world – would have been dangerous for Maggie, centuries earlier, a few centuries earlier. Like, say, like let's would say, would have been dangerous years. for her. Naya, meaning, I mean, in Europe, uh, being in the or living in the, let's say, seventeenth century, you would have been considered a witch.
1: Oh well, you know, there, there is some, like I said, a little bit of the mountain magic idea behind it and i know in different areas of the united states so a granny woman type person in say the louisiana bayou is considered a witch Mm -hmm. they are considered witches Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. people would go to the witches to get healed but they were like they would go but they were also terrified because they believed that these women had these you know supernatural powers and could do more than just heal them they could also choose to hurt them Mm -hmm. you know and that's Mm -hmm. where you have like the voodoo dolls and and all of those other kinds of things that go on so yeah i mean you know there's there's a chance that that Can you imagine say um where the the witch trials were Salem mm-hmm. witch trials, Salem, yeah. you know, and, and there she would be chanting in some foreign language to some woman's belly, and the baby turns over. Yes, yeah, she may very well have been seen as a witch. Mm-hmm. So I had mm-hmm. never considered that that before. But there there is that little bit of that magical, but I don't see, you know, that's what we call it it is magic. But I think really what it is, is that our bodies are meant to be healthy. Mm -hmm. and our bodies have a natural ability to heal themselves when we give them the time and space to do so. And I think that Maggie believed in herself as a healer, and the people believed in her as a healer, and that that belief is the thing that often was the the magic behind you know, it isn't really magic. What it is 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 faith and belief. Yeah. I yeah. believe Maggie can heal me. Maggie yeah. believes she can heal them, and therefore, it's yep. it's very similar to people who take pain medicine. Mm, um, placebos, um, like and they've mentioned. tried the placebos, yeah. right? Mm. Try the placebos, and what happens is someone says, "Oh, I feel so much better," and they got nothing but sugar, mm. but they feel better. Why do they feel better? Because they believe. they got something for the pain Mm -hmm. and it's that same thing so was it really the herb that that cured them was it really some magic from from maggie or was it simply that the person believed they were going to be healed and therefore their body did what it needed to do to heal
0: and also the fact that you mentioned chanting it has a little bit to do with meditation, yeah. and that's something exactly. people would do uh, when they go to a retreat, or let's say that's what they do also in the monasteries. Is this form of also lowering your your blood pressure and so on?
1: It also helps mm-hmm. calming down the patient. It does. There's there's something about repetition. Um, so I'm going to tell a little story on myself when my husband and I, we rode across the United States on a Mm -hmm. tandem bicycle. So we took Mm -hmm. this huge long 3000 mile across the United States and I'm on the back of the tandem and I am not a very athletic person. So this was an extremely huge adventure for me. And there were a couple of times where while riding, I was afraid. Either we were going down a very big hill and maybe Mm -hmm. it was rainy and it just felt like, well, I told my husband one time, we're careening, we're careening down the hill. And he said, we are not careening. And I said, well, (laughs) you might not be careening, but I'm careening. Um, But one of the things that I would do when I started feeling that, like, (gasps) is I would close my eyes and start singing a hymn in my head. The only one I could think of was a children's hymn, but (laughs) I started singing it in my head. And those words, because I knew them Mm -hmm. and because they were slow and soft and calm, would calm my heart rate and would, okay, okay, okay. And so it's that same, I think it's the same kind of thing, you know, you have someone who comes in and they start this chant and, and it's soothing and calming, and it's something to focus on. And mm-hmm. she would do this a lot of times when women were in labor, mm-hmm. and you know they're they're in in a bad place when yep. she arrives, and and she can get them to start focusing on her her chants, her words, and isn't that kind of what Lamaze is in terms of you focus on your breathing or you yeah. focus on they give you those things to focus on why. To take your mind off of the fact that there is pain. Yeah. You know, Maggie yeah. didn't make the woman's pain go away. She gave her something else to do.
0: Yeah. To concentrate, a focus on right. something else. Absolutely. Right. And um, which part of the book was the hardest for you to write?
1: Yes. So I can, I'll tell you about it. To a point, but I can't tell you that because it would ruin the whole book. Of course, of course. But there, there, yeah, there was there was a character that I ended up having to sacrifice in order to allow the growth of other characters, and I hated it because once I've written a character, I fall in love with them, and I hate it when anything bad has to happen to a character. So there was a particular scene that I realized really needed to be written this is the this is the best way to go forward with the book and I didn't want to do it and I wanted it to be something else so I didn't write it and I kept waiting to come up with better inspiration and six weeks went by and I had zero inspiration and I had no idea how the book was going to end, where I was going to go. I I almost gave up. I thought, well, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna have to stop writing, I I have nothing. And then I thought, no, I'm gonna try to write that difficult scene. And I did, went to bed. And when I woke up the next morning, the entire book opened up. I knew where everything was going. I knew how I was gonna wrap everything up. And it's, it's amazing to me how sometimes you have to kind of listen to that intuition I knew, I already knew that's what I needed to do. I just didn't want to do it. But I have characters that stand against the wall with their arms crossed and refuse to play until I do what they tell me to do. And so (laughs) they just stood there waiting. They said, eventually she'll come around, you know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And how much fun was it researching for the book?
1: Oh, I love to research. So I'm a research (laughs) junkie. (laughs) <laughs> um, I tell people that one of the reasons that I love doing historical fiction is because I get to do the two things I love the most, which are research and write. Um, so yeah, the, the start of this book all came about because I had a wart on my thumb. And I know that sounds crazy. It's like, what does a wart on your thumb have it to do with this book at all? But I had gone to my regular doctor just for a checkup And while there, mentioned that I had this wart and could she just go ahead and remove it in the office? And she said, oh, no, you're going to have to see a specialist. And I thought, I'm not going to go see a specialist over a wart. So I just went to the pharmacy and got a little patch. And that was the end of that. Well, a few weeks later, I was talking to my brother on the phone and he had, um, a similar kind of experience and so we were complaining about you know healthcare, care and i told him about my wart and he said well why didn't you have someone talk it off and i looked at him i said what talk it off he said yeah i have a friend that talks off warts well i am definitely the person in my family who is gullible and they tell me stories and i fall for them and then i hear about it every christmas for the next 16 years remember that time we told terry and they all laugh so i didn't fall for it and and we got off the phone but that research junkie in me insisted that i look that up and lo and behold there are people who can talk to a wart Mm. on your thumb and it falls off not immediately but like within the week it will be gone and there are people that can blow in your mouth and the If you have thrush, the thrush will disappear or they can talk to a baby who's breech and get the baby to turn. And the more I researched, the more I found and it was leading me more and more into the Appalachian mountain region. And that's when Maggie was born. So, oh, the, the research was, was Mm -hmm. fabulous. And then I did a lot of research about like, what kinds of remedies would she have been using? What kinds of teas and poultices and other things would she have been finding? And one of the things I thought was super interesting was that different parts of the plant are used for different purposes. And sometimes one part of the plant is poisonous but another part of the plant is what a person needs and that plants can be picked at different times for different purposes. So sometimes a plant is useless if it's picked in the springtime, but if you can pick it in the winter, like when when all of the sap has run out of the roots, then that is the proper time mm. to pick that plant. Mm-hmm. There's just some really interesting things that I did not realize. I would have thought a dandelion okay. was a dandelion was a dandelion.
0: Okay. Don't worry. My uh, image has frozen, but I can still hear you. You can still hear me as well. I don't yes. know, technology, a pain in the backside. Um, yeah, I mean, there is so much we don't know. We lay people don't know, those who don't uh, are that interested in plants. Also, the things the teacup usually tells me about the good uh, things that tea can do for you. She often tells me you should right. drink tea, then you you wouldn't get so agitated. No, I don't <laughs> drink tea. Sorry, teacup. <laughs> I prefer coffee. Uh, that Maybe that's why you are always so agitated. No, I refuse to believe that.
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I don't you know. know. I'm hearing a little bit of Carrie Ann in you, Edith. <laughs> oh,
0: maybe. Maybe. I, I drink tea, which isn't tea at all. So she's a little bit proud of me for that. She thinks she might can get me to drink tea as well. Uh, I don't think so. It, it will happen anytime soon. But who knows? Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? Absolutely. And I asked you that the last time as well. And you um, mentioned a little bit of your future plans of uh, working or writing first person narration for Maggie was never in yeah. the book for you.
1: No, it wasn't because I write very naturally in third person past tense. It just, I don't know, it just comes, I don't, I must think that way in my head. Um but I am writing a book right now that is contemporary and it's a comedy and the character's name is Peg and she is first person, uh, present tense. And it is really, has been a very big challenge, really unusual uh, for me because I'm having to think really hard and the number of times where I'm writing along and I look back and realize that I have flipped over to, to, Uh, third person without realizing I've done it and I have to rewrite everything because I forgot what I was doing. Um, But I like the challenge and I tell people that although I'm a historical fiction author, really what I am is a character-driven fiction author. So if you like a good character, then you'll like my books and you'll want to go with them, whether they're set in the 1890s in the Appalachian Mountains or they're set today you know, in in a beach community, that either way you're going to you're going to like my characters.
0: Oh, and I'm still frozen, but never mind.
1: You are still frozen. Yeah. But at least it's a nice, it's a nice, you know, you don't look bad that
0: way. A thinking (laughs) pose. Maybe I should keep that for future, (laughs) for future streams or events.
1: See, See, and now I can't tell if you're like raising your eyebrows at me or you you are doing anything, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that happens. Like we said, technology, technology. But it's more important what we talk about and what we hear. Yeah, I think it's also challenging writing first person because like we said also before, writing first person means your characters are not omissioned. You can't put right. everything in what you would have liked to put in. So it would have made it, I suppose, more difficult, especially for this book.
1: Yeah, and I think that when you're trying to write from three characters' points of view that way, and historically speaking, the the third person to me is just an easier way to go. And that's not to say that I won't ever attempt a first-person historical fiction, because I may do that, because um, I like a challenge, but... <laughs> This book, it never even—I never even considered it. It never even crossed my mind. It so naturally was third person that—that's just where it went.
0: Yeah. Mm. And is there any idea on your end to say that you keep going with the character of Josephine or Josie? Maybe.
1: <sighs> you know, people ask me that, and there's a big push for series and people swear that that's the best thing to do as an author. I, I don't know. I kind of like wrap up my books and then that character is done and I have other characters screaming. So I don't know that I'm ever, I I won't say that I won't, but I don't, I don't have any intention of it at Mm. the moment anyway, but you never Mm. know. Josie may may come back to me and say, Hey, I have more that needs to be told about me. So Hmm. We'll we'll wait and see what she has to say.
0: Yeah, especially regarding the changes we spoke about over right. the years and I mean the book ends in the 20s or in the middle of the 1920s so there's mm-hmm. a lot going on afterwards as well. So it right. would, would be interesting, I suppose. To, well, to and like I did more. have
1: one yeah, I did have one reader say to me, you know, I need to know more about her. Like, you mm-hmm. know, did she get married? Does she have children? You told us nothing. And it was like, sorry. <laughs> 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 it wasn't it wasn't entirely her story. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. I was just trying to wrap up the three of them. Yeah. You know, and so I, I feel like the end wrapped wrapped them up. But it wasn't a story about Josie Mae growing up and who she married. And so yeah. I just didn't feel like it was it was needed. I mean, I guess I could have added a little something there at the end that, that, you know, said that she, you know, had two children and lived happily ever after. But I just, I don't know. Yeah, but I,
0: I mean, myself as a reader wouldn't have wanted it that way, to be honest. Well, so good. The, See The, ending, and, and the that's, ending you brought. So, so that's,
1: that's. That's something that's really interesting is, you know, I have one reader who says, you should have done a whole lot more. That was the only disappointing thing in the book to me was that (laughs) I don't know about Josie May enough in the end. And then you as a reader read the very same book and said, no, it was fine. I wouldn't want anything more than that. Which goes to show that as an author, you really have to write what you feel is correct
0: because
1: you'll never please everyone.
0: Yeah, true. You know, yeah. there,
1: there's there's always going to be someone who says, oh, I wish you had done this instead. Yeah. And, and you're just going to have to do what you feel is right based exactly. on how you see your characters. Right?
0: Exactly. Because it's your book. It's your story right. to tell. It, they are your characters.
1: I can actually you... told this. She was a friend of mine and I actually told her, I said, well, you know, you can make that up in your head. You can <laughs> exactly. decide for yourself if she was married and had kids. Exactly. <laughs> and that's, dear listeners,
0: dear people, dear readers, where fan fiction comes in.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I was just talking with a youth group yeah. um, a couple of days ago. They're working on a creative writing badge. Mm-hmm. And um, they asked me about fan fiction, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I said, I think that's a it's a fun place to write. Yeah especially if you're just in that spot of really wanting to learn about like what your voice is, yeah, you know, and the idea of taking characters that already they're, they're created for you, but now you put them in different scenarios and and what do they do there based on what you know about them? I think it's, I think it's probably a really good writing exercise, especially for those who are learning about character and setting and things and trying to figure that all out.
0: And isn't it the nicest form of flattery?
1: Yeah, we, absolutely. I wouldn't <laughs> mind if someone did a little fan fiction on one of my books.
0: <laughs> oh, would be interesting. I mean, it doesn't have to be Fifty Shades of Bottom, of course, no. <laughs> which, which, we, which we try to avoid. But uh, like I said, I mean, it's a wonderful way of flattering the author, mm-hmm. making or taking the characters and putting your own, own spin on their story.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Or, or or taking a taking a story that was just barely touched on and, and expanding yep. it so that yep. you can see the whole thing. Yeah.
0: You know? yeah absolutely. Like,
1: like like we meet Esther but we only see her in a few brief moments, um, mm-hmm. normally when she's when she's having illness or babies or something, yeah. when when Esther's I mean when Maggie's there. So, you know, maybe take Esther and like yeah. what is her home life like and, and what kinds of conversations does she have with her husband and you yeah. know, those kinds of things. So yeah. Or
0: the way she lived her life before she came to be part of this community. What were her dreams? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so on yeah. is is this
1: what, is this what she thought is this what she thought life would exactly. be exactly
0: yeah. yeah exactly and your three books now which uh-huh. of one would be the one you would like to see in a movie or in a TV show
1: oh man <laughs> <laughs> all of them no i'm just um, <laughs> yeah, um you can only get one I think I would want an enemy like me, and the reason okay. is because that story has a lot of my family stories in it, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, I wrote it – it's not my family. Like, mm-hmm. I took a lot of liberties and license, so it isn't my family, but – But Jacob is patterned after my grandfather and Mm -hmm. Bonnie is patterned after my grandmother and little Mm -hmm. William is patterned after my dad. And so I think to see that in the movies would be really cool because it it would almost be like a tribute to my family. So I think Mm -hmm. that would be a really cool one. I'm not sure it would make the best movie, though. Mm. I think maybe Sunflowers Beneath the Snow, the ending is so cool that I think it would make a really cool book.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, a
1: really cool movie. But on the other hand, right now, it wouldn't be the right timing because mm-hmm. I would feel like people were trying to profit off of what's going on in the yeah. war between yeah. Ukraine yeah. and Russia, and I would, yeah. that would feel kind of yucky. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Any of them, you you pick one, and let's make it happen.
0: <laughs> I pick one, The Daughters. because You think so? This- yeah, because of the women, because of the strong women, because of their yeah. lives. And I think at the moment, it's what people want.
1: Yeah, I think people maybe are getting a little tired of the World War II yeah genre. Not yeah. in books, but in movies. I've noticed that that's, mm-hmm. that's not a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. That was one of the things that um, my mom asked me. She said, you know, like, are you glad that you did Sunflowers Beneath the Snow 1st mm-hmm. And and I said, yeah, because an enemy like me, it's a it's a good book, it's a good strong book, mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. different. And so, I think that, am I still here?
0: Yeah, yeah, you're still here. You're back again.
1: Oh, there I am. Okay, can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, I can hear you. All right. Um. So yeah. So an enemy, an enemy like me, is so, it's hard to differentiate it from other World War II books. And Sunflowers Beneath the Snow, there weren't a lot of other books out there about Ukraine. And Mm -hmm. Daughters of Green Mountain Gap, there aren't a lot of books out there from the 1890s about granny women. And so those books are a little easier to differentiate and get people to see how, you know, this isn't like every other book that you've read. Whereas Mm -hmm. An Enemy Like Me was a little harder for me to to explain to people that this is not your, your typical World War II book.
0: Yeah, exactly. And also also the thing that you have, like I said, the, the strong women, you have this change of attitude, you have this wonderful character of Maggie, who isn't afraid mm-hmm. to get her knowledge also from other people, especially the indigenous people of the region, mm-hmm. and is willing to learn also new things from uh, the medicine man in town, right. the doctor. And also, how this comes together,
1: especially in her
0: granddaughter.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're right. It would make a great movie. If you happen to know anyone who'd like to turn it into a movie, be sure to let me know.
0: <laughs> uh, unfortunately, no. I think it would even make a good TV show, which gives it more possibility to, to develop characters, I think. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong, a movie is great. It can be great. But what I like at the moment is what they do in TV shows when they develop characters.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because at that point, a lot of times what you see is, you know, the first season very much follows the book. Yeah. And then the second season, the characters have taken on a life of their own, like they do in my own head, yeah. where, you know, they just go off and do their own thing. And, and it's like, okay, it's, it's almost like, Fan fiction for television. Yep. exactly. You know, this is what yeah. the author said, and now we've got Carrie Ann in a new situation. And what would she do here? Yeah,
0: yeah, so. yeah. Exactly. The, the the missing parts from your book, you can fill in the gaps.
1: Fill in the gaps. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I'll tell my friend. Is is that I was just <laughs> going to turn it into a TV series, and I couldn't put everything in because that would exactly. ruin it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <sighs>
0: So let's see is are there no questions? We have no questions from our viewers. I told them to come prepared.
1: Well <gasps> Good <you Lord>. know, <laughs> they should it's, read. It's, the a book. Yeah, it's a Saturday.
0: It's a Saturday.
1: Maybe they just don't feel like, you know, questioning. They're just lounging on their <laughs> sofas right now, drinking tea or coffee.
0: <laughs> Probably tea. Uh and coffee. Well, maybe it's over here, it might be a bit late for coffee, although oh, okay. I never have a problem with coffee. Having an espresso at 10, 10 in the evening, I sleep Doesn't quite well No, I'm used you to You know,
1: if I, if I have any caffeine after about 12 noon, I, I won't sleep.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not a problem here. It's not a problem at all. Or maybe they are watching, I don't know, maybe in, in the UK, they might watch Six Nations Rugby. Who knows?
1: Oh, you never know. You
0: yeah, never know. I don't know if there are any games this weekend. Probably there are. Who knows? I don't know. Uh, Terry, is there anything yes. else you would like to share? What should um, our I just, listeners know?
1: Yeah, like come to my website. I have a great newsletter. I put it out twice a, a month. One newsletter is a lot of stuff just about me things that are going on with my books what i'm hoping to achieve that kind of thing and then the other one is always about books that i've been reading and I'd just do a quick little book review. And because I now have um, my own podcast online for authors, I'm reading a lot of books from a lot of different genres. So you'll get a you know a nice wide variety of books. Um, so yeah, come to my website, terrymbrown.com. And that's Terry with one R. And um, sign up for my newsletter, follow all my social media. It's all there. So wherever you are, I am. And... If you read one of my books and like it, please, please go on to Amazon, Goodreads, Barnes & Noble, BookBub, and review it for me because reviews really help.
0: And they absolutely should read it. Dear oh, yeah. listeners, I mean, read, read the
1: book. it. Yes, I yes. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty obvious. Read yep. the book. <laughs> I read it in one day. Couldn't put it down. So. I know, and when you told me that, that's when I said I was going to hire you to come and you know <laughs> talk to me every morning. You said oh, it was an excellent book; I couldn't put it down. I was like, "Good, come tell me that every day." <laughs> yeah,
0: why assume? Probably we should do that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, like I said, couldn't put it down. You, dear listeners, you will enjoy it. Believe me, Terry. I will uh, join you shortly in the green room. Uh, although sure. I'm afraid I might be frozen there as well. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but we can still have a little chat afterwards but thank you for joining me and for doing this again it was an absolute pleasure
1: thank you so much for having me
0: Ah dear listeners i'm still frozen as you can see but i'm still there and i thank you for joining us it was an absolute pleasure and please don't forget to like and subscribe and we'll see you again in our next episode. Until
1: next time.